Guys, congratulations on this book because during this 100th anniversary of Disney, uh, there's a lot of people that don't know this. And and th- this right here is is a beautiful step in sharing the entire journey. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, we, we would like to say that we timed this deliberately for the 100th anniversary, but really it was just a very happy coincidence. I, I've become such a collector of the Disney stuff when it comes to these stories, the books that have come out and stuff. And this one fits right in there because it's, you know, you get into these conversations and then and you go, but wait a second. Did you know that there was there could have been a Disneyland on the mountain? Yeah, yeah, that was the that was the hope. How did you research for this book? Where, where did you go to get everything? So it was certainly a combination of a lot of different things, as you could imagine, because the story was so massive. We certainly, you know, we combed through thousands of newspaper articles and went through Disney reports and Disney annual reports and uh, went to different archives, actually, as well. And um, certainly spoke to dozens of people that were around at the time yeah. and you know or descendants of people who were there at the time or people who were just kind of experts on the the subject as well but um but yeah certainly certainly a lot of different research that that went into this and hopefully put together a helped to put together a good book well the project w- was 10 years uh in the planning stages i mean i can't imagine how many years in time that you put in it for the research yeah, it was. This all kind of started in 2018 with a trip to the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco, where we kind of first heard about the the project and got interested by it. And then we did probably three or so years of research, you know. And then once we started writing, realizing we needed to do even more and fill in the holes. So it was it was quite. The endeavor really was, and it was, but it was a lot of fun. I'm shocked that 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 this did not happen because I mean, boy, you talk about the perfect place and the perfect idea. You've you've got yourself a winter wonderland, and then in the summer months, you've got yourself uh, you know something where kids can come and play as well during just like a Walt Disney World. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, this would have been such a big part of the Disney Empire, and this was actually right after. They, this was about five years after Disneyland was developed as well. So this was actually going to be their second experiential destination. Um, they were also at the same time kind of starting to plan Walt Disney World. But Mineral King would have come first. And it would have been certainly, you know, a really important part of the company. And But the, the problem was, was there was just a ton of opposition yeah. because, you know, we're talking about the 1960s and 1970s, and that was certainly a ripe time for, for that kind of environmental opposition to developments. And, of course, then you're talking about Disney, and a lot of people kind of, you know, thought that they were this cheesy company, yep. um, just, you know, in terms of what they built in Disneyland. They didn't want that to happen in this, you know, pristine, pristine area. But see, the thing is, in my heart as a kid, Disney to me was that place where you could go to explore. And then when you hear about parks like this, you know, where they take a chance, it's like, oh, my God, that's every bit the reason to love them even more. Because you're right. They would go in there and research it and then start planning it. Right. Yeah, they would have. It would have been a great, you know, at least according to Disney, it would have been, a, you know, this again, like you said, I mean, this great kind of escape. And it would have, you know, it would have been different because this would really would have where Disneyland was this, you know, magic kingdom yeah. full of fantasy and magic. This really would have celebrated the natural wilderness that was there, the natural beauty that was there. But it's still, you know, with 
that Disney touches on there would have been, like you said, a great escape for people to go and and really experience nature in this in this whole new way. Only because I'm such a, a nature freak, and and my my own forest that I have is all North Carolina trees. What, what, how would they have done the landscape for something like that? Because Disney wants the perfect layout. Would, would they have have they would they have let it grow by itself, or what what was going on? Yeah, they really were looking to, you know, they talked about camouflaging the ski lifts, building the parking underground. I mean, when Walt Walt later said, when I first saw Mineral King, I thought it was one of the most beautiful spots I'd ever seen, and we want to keep it that way. And he said that as far back as 1965, when Disney first won the rights to develop the area. So, you know, it wasn't something he said later to sort of counter the environmental opposition. It was really something he believed all along and their goal was to you know have this resort area that would have really blended in nicely to the surrounding scenery and again to camouflage lifts and things like that and really just integrate this into the landscape as much as they could and keep as much of the area wild as they could. Were parts of these visions put down in Florida because there's so many different areas down there that are very environmental safe and and, and, you know where where they're embracing you know the atmosphere of Florida? They, you know, with Florida, they sort of stuck with this idea of theming, you know, like the Polynesian Resort, mm-hmm. the Contemporary Resort, where they were still sort of building these, quote unquote, Disneyfied resorts and things like that, that were a little bit of escape from the norm. They did actually preserve as part of the original planning in the 70s for Disney World, preserve like a huge number of acres for kind of a wildlife preserve. But it really wasn't until, you know, later projects were built like Alani and Hawaii and things like that, that they really started to think about, you know, theming the resort to fit in well with with the surroundings. Yeah. But as far as also what they were creating for this Mineral King, California area, they actually there's a couple of different attractions, essentially, that that later made its way into Walt Disney World. Wow. Was, would, would Mickey have been a part of this? We don't know for sure. I mean, we there's there were some kind of rumors. We couldn't confirm it, mm-hmm. um, but there were some rumors that Donald Duck would be giving a wilderness talk and wilderness really? walk. So I think there's a there's a chance that the characters, I'm sure, would have made made their way um, to the resort later on. But um, but, you know, he, he kind of said that he didn't want it to be, quote unquote, a Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the fear. And that's kind of why we named the book what we did, Disneyland on the Mountain. But but there were kind of Disneyland ish aspects, of course, to it, even though it was, again, about like preserving the area, making it accessible for people and celebrating that natural beauty. Of course, you know, this is Disney, this is Walt Disney. He's very creative. He wanted to create a, a couple of a couple of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which was was actually the Country Bear Jamboree, which a lot of Disney parks <laughs> fans are familiar with. That was originally intended for this Mineral King Resort. <laughs> you know what's really interesting about this is that the fact that you know in the in the 1960s while this was taking place, you know, to have a park that was would would you know cater to the winter people as well as the summer people, it's happening now with with a lot of today's parks because I know Carowinds here in Charlotte is open year round now, and and they they embrace it, they embrace the winter theme and everything. I mean, it's like Walt was in he he was so far ahead of his time. Uh-huh. Yeah. He definitely was. I mean, a lot of the things that he had planned, yeah, this year-round resort that would have, you know, 
the shopping, the hotels, the restaurants and things like that. That wasn't really as you know popular or as widespread back then. I mean, he was sort of a pioneer of a lot of that. And now you see, you know, pretty much every ski resort has summertime activities. Every ski resort has entertainment and you know the shopping the restaurants sort of the family feel but back then that was really a, a new idea what what was it about the 1960s the olympic games that year that what did, did it serve as an inspiration or was it a knock on someone's heart so it did serve as an inspiration so yeah that's that's our story more or less begins with in 1960 so walt disney was the chairman of pageantry at the 1960 Winter Olympics. And so he was tasked with a lot of entertainment and he reimagined the opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies and did everything as you could imagine, very, you know, very, it was a big spectacle. And he kind of modernized it into what we imagine the Olympics as today. And when he was doing that, he kind of saw, you know, how the entertainment affected the athletes, how it all came together. There was sport, there was spectacle. He kind of looked around and said, you know, I could do something with this. I can do something even better um, than what, what is being created here. And then that was a lot of his inspiration for, for starting to think about this ski resort, this year-round destination. And it was also where he met a man named Willie Schaeffler, who was a famous ski coach and the two of them so would would create this together and Willie would be in charge of you know doing the creating the slopes and the runs and things like that. I can't imagine skiing at, at a resort like this because you know we would have dressed up because that's just what Americans do. We would dress up like our favorite <laughs> characters and, and to see that coming down the hill or or stopping on at, at a hillside bar or something and you're walking there going, oh my God, this is not anything like up in Montana or even uh, Jackson Hole, uh-huh. Wyoming. Yeah, it would have been, it definitely would have been different. It would have been really cool to see sort of what it would have become. And, you know, and Walt said at the time as well, as he said with many of his projects, but, you know, this is something that, you know, we'll keep building, we'll keep perfecting over the yeah. years and keep changing. So it really, you know, had it been built, it, you know, it would have been really interesting to see how it would have evolved over the years and what it would have become. Part of celebrating the 100th anniversary, I, one of the greatest things that I've loved is looking at the pictures of the construction. I'm the weird one. I want to see that stage being built. Did, did you get to see photographs like this? We did. We saw some of their basically their early concept drawings and things like that. And um, they're unfortunately they're not in the book, but we do have a lot of other images. But basically, if you for people who are interested, here's a secret. If you Google, if you Google Disney Mineral King, you know, concept drawing, you will find it. Um, You will find it somewhere. But um, but yeah, there was, you know, as you can imagine, kind of very romantic scenes of of a horse-drawn sleigh and things like that and <laughs> lit, you know shops and things like that and um but yeah so they they did start they did start that so what was the big problem what what got in the way was it the environmentalists it was the environmentalists yeah this was this mineral king area in california where disney was going to build this land which the forest service had put this land up for lease up for bid so it wasn't like disney just came in and and chose this spot at random i mean this is something the forest service had offered up but it was a favorite spot of the sierra club which at the time and still today was one of the largest environmental organizations in the country and there was a small cabin community up there as well. This is a former uh, mining 
area that over the years had a small resort and cabs and things like that. So between those two groups, there was just a lot of opposition to this big, you know, what they thought when they looked at Anaheim and Disneyland and sort of what had grown up around that. They were really opposed to this Disney development in this beautiful part of California that they really thought was one of the great natural spots in the state, and they didn't want to see it develop. Why California? We all know what Californians are. They, they are environmentalists, and they are very protective of, of the laws and things. I mean, they could, they could have built something like this in other parts of the nation. They did actually look at other areas, including Colorado, as you could imagine, yes. because it's a oh community. Um, but, I mean, I think California was just, I mean, Walt was obviously very familiar with California having lived there, yeah. and he had gone to Mineral King, so he really kind of fell in love with that area. But I think that, again, with the time, the 1960s, the 1970s, you know, before that, we weren't seeing a ton of opposition like this. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the beginning of that. So I think it was also a timing issue, not just the the location, because we're also seeing, you know, this is, as we write in the book, we're talking about the first Earth Day is around this time where, you know, there's laws now to oh, protect yeah. and, and have, you know, against pollution and, and to make sure there's clean water and yeah. clean air. So a lot of it is really what time this was. Mm-hmm. What about the transition of power, though? That was that that caught me off guard. I didn't realize that was taking place. Yeah, that was super interesting to us. I mean, so much was happening at this time, which is just so fascinating, which makes this hopefully a fascinating read. But Walt Disney essentially passed away during yeah. this during the story. He passed away pretty unexpectedly in late 1966, and his brother Roy took over for the company and he did it, you know, fairly reluctantly. He was in his seventies at that time. He certainly, he never saw himself. I mean, he certainly was a leader in the company, but he didn't want to be kind of the face of the company. And so there's a lot of different transitions that was happening around that time. And, you know, other people, including Roy himself, wasn't, they didn't exact, they weren't really sure about, you know, why Walt wanted this. Um, wanted the ski resort. Roy had said kind of behind the scenes, we're in the amusement park business, we're in the movie business, we're not in the ski business. He wasn't Mm. necessarily a fan of it, Mm -hmm. but the company wanted to continue with what Walt wanted. And and that was actually very heartwarming because you'd seen that momentum kind of continue. And that was kind of this calling card for them. They really wanted to to do this for Walt. They wanted this Mineral King project. They wanted the Florida project. They wanted everything that Walt wanted. And, and that continued um, in Roy's leadership of the company. And it continued after Roy, too, including a man named Carl Walker, who then became the Disney president for, for quite a few years. You know, as, as business people, you, you look at that story right there and you go, you know what, they were doing it for Walt. You know, we, we got we to gotta stay true to what, what, what put us on the map. Yeah, that was exactly what they kind of said as they went forward. And even, you know, this, this there was a legal case that started that's covered in the book that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And after that, even that Card Walker, this president, he took out a full page ad and a bunch of papers around California and said, you know, I was there with Walt at Mineral King. This is what Walt said he wanted. This is why we're doing this. You know, we need your help. We need your support. Sort of an appeal to the people of California to get behind it. But really, the whole time, 
was this idea that, yeah, we have to do it for Walt. This is one of his final dreams. Let's make it happen. How important was it to keep the name Mineral King? Because I, I don't feel a Disney-esque about that name. Yeah, that was the name of the area. So this was a former mining area, you know, that had been part of the gold rush back in the 1800s. Nice. And that was just where um, we, we did see there was at one point something called Sky Crown, but we weren't sure if that was a restaurant or some kind of a property within the resort or that was the name that they were thinking of for the resort. But yeah, for whatever reason, they just kept it as the name of the area, maybe just because they thought that was sort of more authentic and more true and, and sort of less disnified and maybe, you know, represented their desire to make this a more sort of natural, natu natural uh, recreational experience. I know what a lot of musicians have to go through in order to record a Disney song. I mean, they've got to get some permission. Did you guys have to go through the same walk? Uh, we did not. We we wow. we're, we were in communication with Disney early on about using some some artwork and things like that, and we unfortunately our timing was just off to make it happen. But um, you know, it's a it's a nonfiction book of history that's you know hopefully researched and sourced well. So there's you know we did work with the Walt Disney Family Museum some, and we talked with a bunch of Disney employees, people that were there at the time, um, but we never sort of formally went through Disney for permission. So. Yeah. What's really great about this book, Disneyland on the Mountain, is the fact that it's it's a part-time law. There's there's also a section in there that has a mystery. It, and you, you sit there and you, you struggle with questions that were, you know, that, that are going on through your own head as a reader. I mean, there's so much emotion for, for someone to read this book. But but yet in the end, you're going, this really happened. This isn't this was not made up. Yeah, thank you for saying that. We certainly you know, we obviously wanted to put a lot of lot of heart in it and, and emotion because it was highly emotional for yeah. people. You know, this was really important, again, for the Disney company, for Walt in particular, and, and certainly for a lot of those who opposed it. So and, and a lot of what we did was we really wanted to kind of, you know, give equal weight to both sides and kind of have people decide for themselves you know, should this have been built or should it not have? And we kind of switch points of view, essentially, you know, more or less every other chapter as far as, you know, here's where Disney is coming from. Here's where the environmental side is coming from. So we hope we did that justice. And we're excited to, to hear what people think, too, yeah. when they read the book and, you know, what they think. And we're, we're certainly curious and, and would love to hear from, from readers. Imagineers became a documentary and it also was a book. So therefore, are we going to see a documentary out of this? <laughs> that would be really cool. I mean, there's enough there for a documentary for sure. So, you know, that probably would be for somebody else to make, but we would be more than happy to assist in any way we could because it really would be a super interesting story. So just reach out to us and anyone who's interested, we will... Uh... <laughs> we think it should happen. Wow. You got to come back to the show anytime in the future. I love Disney stories because once again, I, I, I'm fascinated with foundations that grow. Even, even if it goes to the Supreme Court or whatever, it's still a story. It's Americana. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's such a huge part of, I mean, Disney history, but also American history. And obviously we're kind of Disney history nerds. We kind of had to be for, for writing this, but... But yeah, I mean, it's such a such a massive, massive part of history. Absolutely. So we're excited that we got to tell it. Excellent. Well, please come back anytime because the doors are always going to be open for you. Oh, oh thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. We certainly hope to. You be brilliant today, okay? Okay. Oh, you too. Thank you so much.